Hey everyone, welcome back to CDY Blackout, your home for the best creators from around the world. I'm your host, Max Bowen, and my next guest, well, he's recently released the second installment in his best-selling The Price Of series, where his main character, Drake Quintero, has pissed off Washington and they want revenge. Which is a terrifying concept in any era, but right now, even more so. And even more, more so in 2047, where this book takes place. Author Michael C. Bland joins me. Michael, welcome to the show. It's good to have you here. Max, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. All right. Man, there is so much to talk about here. Just like reading about this book, there is a lot happening. As I mentioned, though, this is the second book in the series. A third book is is uh, in the works. But mm-hmm. without giving us too many spoilers, for those of us who have not read the first one, where does this one pick up? This one, the, the second one picks up about eight weeks after the end of the first one. Mm-hmm. And it just runs from there. Nice. So, so you're just like diving right into things. Oh, yeah. Oh, and you'll, as as readers will discover, the way I write is I try to grab your attention and try to hold on to it. I mean, let's be honest, especially in this day and age, I'm trying to fight to keep your attention with internet, games, movies, everything. If you put my book down, you're not going to pick it back up. So I try to grab you and keep tight the whole time. Okay. So let's talk about where this book picks up. So as you mentioned, eight weeks after the end of the first one, it's, yes. um, it's 2047, secrets have been revealed, and Washington wants revenge. Drake Quintero, our main character, has learned an unfortunate truth that his technology is being used to more or less impersonate the leaders in D.C. And so he decides to go underground with a rebellion to you know fight against this. And meanwhile, we live in a world where everyone basically has these government-mandated implants in their heads, basically iPhones, in your skulls. We're not too far from that, I don't think, actually. (laughs) Not too far from that at all. Right, more and more. Yeah, Elon Musk is working on some implant in the brain. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he (laughs) is. Maybe he's surprised. Absolutely. I want to ask about about this technology, though. What can I came about to make you think of including this with your book series? Mm -hmm. Well, I first came up with the idea... Primarily when I was on the L in Chicago, when I was living there, where I was just standing there and everyone had their faces in their phones, right? And I'm like, I could stand around and be naked and no one would notice. Yet at the same time, they're, right? No one wants to see that. But anyway, um, but at the same time, there were cameras on the ceiling in, in the train. So someone is watching. And then with that is, as the technology gets more and more advanced, I mean, think about where we were 30 years ago. But, you know, we had beepers. I mean, the cell phones were these bricks. There really wasn't an internet or just the very basics to where we are now. And then, and technology is speeding up. And, you know, kind of going the, you know, thing the route of, you know, Google Glass and, and those kinds of things. Well, what are technologies even more and more and more brought to where it's at your fingertips where you also can't really avoid it to a degree? So that was kind of the, the genesis of the whole idea. And I really think people would actually go for that. If you said, hey, we've got this new kind of iPhone. It goes in your brain. You can see everything on your eyes. You control it with like your thoughts or what have you. I think a lot of folks would say, sign me up for that stuff. Not only that, but also can help with your work. If you're, say, an engineer and you need to have certain you know, abilities to calculate things, to track things, whatever, you know, students at universities, you have entire novels of information or, or textbooks of information in your brain. 
you know, the, it starts getting really a slippery slope. We're like, this actually sounds really kind of cool, right? But like any technology, it can be used and manipulated. If we're not careful, it can be used in ways that we don't expect and may not like. Yeah. 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 So, so how is it being used? Um, how is it being used in this book? You know, like uh, how is that? How are the power the uh, the people in power kind of manipulating this th- this uh, technology that now everyone has? Correct. So it's it's twofold because there's the implant. The other thing are the lenses in your eyes. So if you know anyone's ever had cataract surgery, if you've had cataract surgery where they take the lens out and put a new one in, that's technology we've had for quite a while. My dad had cataract right surgery, so now he has new lenses in his eyes. Well, very easy to then put a computer screen, at least in 2047, in that lens you put in. Now you have computer screens. Now you can watch movies while you're just sitting there. Now you can work, you can do all these things because you have a computer screen in your eyes. Well, what those into power do is they start manipulating what you are actually seeing. Because there's actually, uh, environmentally, there are problems going on that they're hiding because they don't want people rising up and that's what started manipulating the data you go from there if, if i can control what you see i control what you think jeez <laughs> that, <laughs> uh, and, and like we said though we're so close to that because you mentioned uh, the google glass which basically lets you see everything you know on your glasses of course you know bluetooth is everywhere right now you know i have uh, i have uh, the airpods so i can just put them in my ear and leave them in all day basically listen to whatever and still talk mm-hmm. to people. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's one of those things where you think, oh, ho, ho, it's science fiction. But they think, really, is it, though? And this book is only set about 20-odd years in the future. So we're not talking about, you know, the far, far, far future. Right. And I really try to make this as realistic. A lot of my research was involved with um, cutting-edge technology now, where things that scientists are just now discovering. And then now if you then amplify that and turn that into a product that's going to be in our society and used what happens where are these various you know technologies and how does that start really impacting our lives how science fiction is this stuff again i try to make it as realistic as possible there's some things of course there's you know various aspects uh dark matter is i made a stab at what i think dark matter they kind of discover is the substance and what they kind of do with them so that's just one aspect of it but i try to really make it as realistic as possible and that also is relatable. So it's not just, you know, some weird thing that you you don't even understand what it is. I mean, like computer screens in your eyes. It's kind of a, you know, something that I think people can relate to that, oh, I get what he's saying. And then I also see where the slippery slope becomes by utilizing that. Mm-hmm. And and the research must have been like a lot of fun. Because I know that for writers, research is like, it's a, it's a world you live in for months and months and months. You think, huh, I should probably write something down eventually. <laughs> Oh, you, you definitely go down a rabbit hole. Yeah. And some of the things are, are really crazy out there. Of course, then there's also fun as part of the research, just to have a little fun with it. I, I was like, well, what did 50 years ago, what did they think that we could, you know, we could have, and of course, flying cars is the number one thing. Like, that's what they all thought we were going to have, which, uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank God. Jesus Christ. Yeah, hey, the way I see some people drive, let's, yeah. let's not. <laughs> we we don't need the cars to be like a thousand feet in the air and then and then crashing down on the ground, folks. This is right. I mean, I'll take one of the cars, but other people don't. You know, not not everyone. <laughs> no one else, just you. Right. Exactly. You know, but then with the technology, the other aspect for me was also the 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 human side of it, the story of it, because Dre really a big thing is his focus is protecting his family. 
that's what drives the man. And I'm a huge fan of science fiction, but so many of them kind of just seem to be a loner or someone that is by themselves and they might kind of have a love interest, but maybe not. And I'm like, well, but families are around in the future. And in this world where you have this technology where you can't really hide from it, you can't really run from it. Well, what if you have loved ones that you're wanting to protect? How do you do that, that kind of world? Yeah, because and, and I recall from um, from uh, from reading about it, the first book is Dre protecting his daughter because she is accused of a crime and he's got to basically fight back against a system that he's kind of a part of. So, yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then in the in the sequel, there's still that threat. Uh, there's still the you know those that he cares about that he's trying to protect. Mm-hmm. And actually, his his wife Mina comes into play too because I won't give away too much, guys, because you want to read the book, read the book. Right. But she becomes involved, but not in a good way. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, she makes a decision in the first book that has a really major impact on him and his family. And then, like, you know, some, you know, some individuals, it's hard for them to completely go away. And they come back and they, he, they force him to make a decision that uh, really changes the tra- trajectory of everything. Is Mina a bad guy in this story? That is a great question. And that one I'm going to leave up to the reader. However, like, in my mind, both good and bad characters, they're never fully good, they're never fully bad. And, you know, like all of us, we think we're the hero of our story. Well, Mina thinks she's the hero of her story. But Dre is our actual hero. He is actually our knight in shining armor. So tell us a bit about Dre. Dre is um, an engineer, an extremely skilled engineer. Um, he also, in, in college, he got a um, scholarship to be a running back. So he was a you know, he was a, you know athlete in college. Um, but he is a, a very skilled engineer, and he and college buddies created this company together that become that became very successful. Um, but he also was a little bit of a rebel. And so when the events of the first book come, come into play, while he wants to do good and while he is a big proponent of, um, of law enforcement and that kind of stuff from when he was a kid, something that happened, um, he finds himself on the opposite side from what he had believed. And so there's that growth that he has to go through to get to where he needs to be. Mm. Is he cut out for the situations that he finds himself in? Not always. <laughs> I didn't think so. Which is the challenge. Uh, of course, if he was, you know, MacGyver, then, well, that's, and then it's just, okay, kind of somewhat interesting to see what he does to get out of it. But there are times he's, he's a little, in, he's in over his head. And so that's, to me, as the writer, as well as a reader, that's the interesting part, is how does that individual, whether, you know, whatever the character is, that how do they get to the other side? And they don't always win, and they don't always, obviously doesn't always come through as they hope. And really where he ends up, first of all, at the end of the, the first book, nowhere what he had thought that it was going to start with. And the second book, he initially continues down that path, and but he's conflicted because, again, it goes back to what he cares about and protecting those he loves, and it's this conflict to try to figure out what is the best thing to do. Since we talked about Mina and the nebulous nature of her character, I'll ask the same question about Dre. Is he really a good guy? I think that he is. He doesn't always um, play well with others. 
I will say. Uh, he doesn't always do the absolute right thing. Um, his heart's in the right place. He is sometimes a little too analytical. He is an engineer, so sometimes he has a little more uh, about the analytical side versus the emotional side. But he has a huge heart, and in the end, he does do what I think is the right thing. And that actually is one of the things the readers could go, well, if I were in his shoes, would I have done the same thing? I'm going to put you a bit on the spot here, but if you were in his shoes, would you have done the same thing? If I had the skills that he did... I do think I would. Hmm. Um, it not there are no easy choices, and that's also. And as a writer, I was even kind of going, should I really go down this path? Right? Oh yeah, trust me. And, and I'm sitting there. And in fact, before this this book, what I did was because um, I have a publisher and she has an editor, and they're they're fantastic. But because I made some big decisions in the second book, I hired an outside editor who she had been the editor. Um, editor-in-chief of Tor. She'd been an editor at Random House that, because I, and she specialized in sci-fi. That was kind of her, her big niche. And so I hired her and asked, you know, um, had her review it and she loved it. She said something about it was like uh, a crazy ride through a swamp infested waters and, and just, and the, the choices that I made, she believed all of them. She thought they were, they were fantastic. And so that's what the final version is. Wow, that's really big that an editor for Tor and Random House thought so highly of your book. Yeah, I was very pleased. She did have some suggestions and some edits. Um, and so in this book, it starts out with a timeline. So from 2030 to 2047, you see how the world gets to where it is, oh. I thought, which I thought was a great addition. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. We, we always love like the backstory because you, you got to wonder, how do we get here? So, is this some kind of dark dystopian future? It sounds like it could be a bit of a mix. It's a bit of a mix because I, I I don't want to do it too dark, just because I'm I'm an optimistic at heart. Um, but and and there are individuals within the story who are a little more on the you know see the glasses half full versus glasses half empty. But it is a dark setting, and it is a future that. I really hope does not come to pass because I think that could be a really, um, really dark future for humankind. You mentioned being an optimist at heart. Does that come through in your books? I think so within some of the characters. Um, it's, that doesn't mean that uh, the endings are always good or that all the characters end up happy. Um, but I do think that there's definitely elements of optimism with it. And you know, also one thing with a second book, it's always the, the darkest before the dawn kind of thing, right? So I'm also, I know where the third book, where the story ends. I have the third book mapped out. I have it all planned and I have to be an outliner. I have to plan it out where it goes because if I just start writing, it's a train wreck. Um, so I have it all planned out. I know how it all ends and I'm really excited for how it is going to turn out. But again, it's still not going to be all sunshine and rainbows. There's going to be some positive, there's going to be some negative. Nice. All right. How did you go about creating Dre? Because he, of course, is our main character. He's what carries the story. Where did he come from? Actually, where he came from, he's an homage to my two grandparents, my two grandfathers. They were both engineers. One was a chemical engineer and tried to sign up during World War II. They found out what he could do and said, nope. So instead, 
uh, he ended up building bombs in Texas. And my uh, my grandmother kept saying, we kept waiting to hear, Poom, meaning the place blew up. Um, so that was one grandfather. The other one was um, a meteorological, metal, the, the studies metal. I can't say that I don't know exact name. Oh, but he, um, um, uh, metallurgist. Thank you, metallurgist. I don't know why I always have a problem with that word. Um, who he also tried to sign up after uh, Pearl Harbor. He also was declined because of his skills and ended up helping build uh, battleships during the war. Both extremely intelligent, knowledgeable. Uh, the, the chemical engineer, he knew five languages. Also, I mean, very, uh, very intelligent and skilled individuals. And so that I wanted to kind of, you know, honor them. And so that's where he started was being an engineer. That's really amazing. That's so cool. I've, you know, I've, I never really heard of this actually, you know, someone honoring like their, their family right by, like right them into the books. Usually they kind of do the opposite. They try to avoid any kind of connection to people around them. Have members of your family got to check out the book and kind of learn about Dre? Oh yeah. No, um, actually, um, my, my father, my sister, they're both great, um, beta readers, um, They've they've had to read poorer versions of the of, of the novels, um, but they've also helped benefit. In fact, my my father, um, when he first read the uh, the draft of the second book, he said, "You know, look, the first chapter is fantastic. It grabbed me. The next forty pages, I didn't care." I was like, "Ouch." Well, but I I worked, well, and what happened was there was a subplot that I thought would make sense and that would work, but I realized after going back and reading it that it wasn't interesting. I completely ripped that apart and started all over that section and it ended up being so much better for it. It was painful to hear at the time, but you know, for any reader, any listeners or, or writers get beta readers who do not pull punches, the harsher and more you know true they are with you, the better your idea will be. Hmm. And to all the creatives out there, whether you do music, art or write, you are never going to get it right the first time. Never. No one gets it right the first time. It always has to get revised, sometimes a little, sometimes a lot. Sometimes it gets totally... I've heard some writers have thrown out entire books because they because they, uh, they put it before the beta readers and they said, I don't like it, and they started over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've written more than, than these books, and they didn't pan out as I had hoped. I'm guessing the original version was very different from the, from the final version. Yes. Yes. Oh, absolutely. really? What would you say were some of the key no. differences? Well, it was in the planning stage, and it was what, um, how it how it worked out. Um, in terms of the first book, the second one was much more solid because I already had my world. Um, but the first one, it was I had a completely different title. I had where it was a completely different things happened. I also had the ending that was a much more definitive answer. And here, here's here's what I mean by it. But for the first book, I match it to like the matrix okay the original matrix movie okay um where it goes through neo goes through all the challenges and he grows and he becomes the one and then that last scene he's in that phone book and he goes i don't know what's going to happen but basically we're going to find out so that's what happened with the first book is it has a beginning middle and end but the last scene indicates well where's it going to go from here and i never planned that not until i was getting closer to actually writing it. I'm like, that's that's the ending of what this story needs. It has to be this, which was a weird feeling because I try to work like eight different ways of trying to a different ending because I originally hadn't planned to do a trilogy, but 
and especially the second book, when I play with the third, someone who just picks up the Trilogy trilogy will think that I planned it all out at the beginning because it really worked between the second book and the third. So I'm really proud of that. Oh, so this was originally going to be just a one-off. It was just going to be a one-off originally. What changed? The depth of the world Mm. and the things that Dre discovers in the first book that, okay, you make this discovery, which was a, a logical yet surprising little twist with it on this technology that I created. Well, then what's he going to do? He finds this, discovers this big thing about with, uh, with the government and with, you know, what was taking, and then he's just going to go back to work. I mean, that that just seemed really odd. Wait, why, why you, you know, you're, you're this guy who can, you know, it might be a little reluctant, but he gets these things done and he discovers this larger plot and this larger threat, not only to him, but his family and, and community and everything. And so he's just going to like, I don't know, just go to the mall you know, maybe, you know, maybe take a trip. I mean, right? So that's where it's like, okay, it has to be where then it goes into the next book. I want to ask about Dre's, basically his role in the events of the second book, because as I mentioned earlier, we have revealed an ugly, a really dangerous truth that the Legion DC are all fake, but it's kind of Dre's fault. He sort of unwittingly supplied the technology that is being used to impersonate those elected to Congress. How does mm-hmm. this hit Dre, knowing that it's not, not his direct fault, obviously, but he's given them the tools to carry out their scheme? Well, he has a lot of, uh, you know, he feels responsible. His responsibility that he helped do this. And, and like many things where you do it out of the good, you created this technology for good reasons, for altru- altruistic reasons, yet they're now suddenly in a position where it's, it's things are worse as a result. So he definitely has that um, drive of trying to fix his mistake, trying to correct the wrong that he inadvertently did. And he discovers that, you know, more surprises along the way and what happened, who's behind it, what's going on. And, and is there a way that he can actually take on something as massive as, you know, a, a federal agency that can, that has almost, unlimited power. All right. Let's talk about the agency because I love how this is agency with a capital A. What is the agency and what's their role in everything going on? So they came, they were, they came out of the NSA. So they were taken with the NSA and merged with some other agencies and it became the, officially became like the watchdog. Okay. Trying to oversee the, the protection of the country oversee um the law enforcement but what they actually are they're also the watchdogs to make sure that those who might have discovered the truth don't reveal it so and the the agents in it are one they're distinctive because they have silver hair the reason they have silver hair is because they don't just have one implant they have multiple implants and those multiple implants do a lot of different things that can be used to help oppress everyone else to help track you to help bring other reinforcements to all these kinds of ugly things and they're also enhanced too so there's that element too Ooh, so we're talking some like agent smith action here to a degree yes oh very cool so so these agents is there are they are they these like superhuman like unstoppable juggernauts 
close to it. Now they were, and where they come from is, you know, the the, the soldiers, the men and women who will fight, who will uh, try to train to become like Navy SEALs mm-hmm. or special forces. And that's extremely tough, brutal, something I couldn't even imagine trying to do, of trying to go through the training to become like say a Navy SEAL. Well, those who fail at it, some really struggle, can't handle that failure. That's where they become recruited to become agents. Oh boy. I'm sure that works out so well for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) And there's, yeah, there's also some, um, you know, manipulation, uh, you know, um, know, mental, you know, blanking on, you know, your mind games, mind games. Thank you. Yeah. A lot of mind games to try to um, warp them in terms of what they think is right and what is best for the country. Oh, all right. So, oh man, this is, <laughs> I have a lot of things that go on with this story. You but do, again, I, you I try do. to make it that it, it flies through and, and you learn some of these things as you go through. And, mm. and that was one little surprise that is in the story, but ah. I don't think it's any major. Do current events influence this book at all? Actually, no. And then I understand that, you know, part of this is, oh, we're going to rebel against the government. And I understand that, you know, the January 6th. And I'm like, no, 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 is that nothing at all? This is no, not political on one side of the other or the other. This was all, in fact, the second book was completely conceived way before the rough draft was done in January of 2020. So it's before anything that actually in real life transpired. The only thing, the only areas where true life has inspired it is like i said the technology and where where we are now and where i think we might end up being or possibly be hmm. all right let's talk about the rebellion i'm sure like okay. every other rebellion i'm sure these guys are probably the underdogs in this fight but what's this group's goals exactly the goal is to reveal to everyone what happened and to get those in in government who have stolen the identities they've stolen the identities of those who actually were duly elected so you think you um, you know promoted senator jean doe no it's not actually her it's actually someone else pretending to be her and so they want to reveal that in you know who they are because obviously if you're going to go through that and you're taking someone else's identity you're not doing working in the best interest of the country. You really don't care about your constituents, about anybody except what you're doing. Hmm. All right. How is the rebellion doing exactly? Okay, well, what I'll say is the first part, they are ramping up. They have grown. Uh, and Dre was part of that um, in terms of new recruits, in terms of uh, new resources, that kind of thing. But the government doesn't really want to play fair and so they strike back oh boy and i'm guessing that goes badly correct yeah mm. it's not not a good thing at all mm. i'm curious if dre's goals and the rebellion's goals do they you know mesh up or do they find themselves ever at odds as to how they're doing things there definitely there's conflict there oh yeah, really there's definitely aspects of it there it's one of those in in a grand level Yes, they both want the same end goal, but how they go about it um, leads to a lot of a lot of friction. Okay, nice. I, I definitely like that. I like a I like a, a good conflict. Um, now, I want to talk a little bit more about your first book, which was The Price of Safety, and uh, this was your debut novel. How did the writing process with that one help you out for writing the second one? 
It helped in a lot of ways. Um, first of all, you're creating the world, you're creating the people, and so you have that that setting. And the first book, I go a little more into the, their background and and you know their backstory and all that stuff. The second one, not as much because if you've read the first one, then you know. Um, but the first one also helped really set the stage um, in my mind on a grand level where to start and where the focus is initially. The second story, but. You know, like all good things, things don't work out like you plan. And like I said, there's some big twists. A few really, frankly, caught me by surprise. And that's kind of went back to why I had that publisher <laughs> independently or that editor uh, go through it. I'm like, is this, do this really, is, it, is this right for this? You know, because I'd hate to have a book where you start reading and then you suddenly go, no, no, there's no way that happened. I, I really want to, I try to write stories that surprise you. But in hindsight, it makes absolute sense. Okay. All right. Now, this book, uh, The Price of Safety, has won, of course, a number of awards. Uh, it was uh, number seven in Amazon's rankings for dystopian novels. It was a finalist three times by the Indie Book Awards and the National Indie Excellence Awards. So clearly a big success. You know, you've got a lot of great accolades. Does that kind of influence you as a writer? Yes and no. Um, it it <laughs> the main thing is it makes me think. Oh, okay, I might actually know what I'm doing, right? I mean, you know, those are my debut novel. So, yeah, I mean, I got I was traditionally published and all that, but you still go, eh, you know, is it might really am I just fooling myself? You know, something that what you just typed away on your keyboard, something you first of all seen in print is crazy, but awesome, and then then getting acknowledged for it was amazing and. You want to talk about awards um one thing for the new book price rebellion it actually was picked as the best science fiction novel of the year by indies today well damn nice yeah. so 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 now you get to say award-winning author award-winning author yes ah. exactly and then and it was funny that was for 2022 and there was a just because we the cutoff was december 31st so it was my public my editor or my publisher and a uh, editing it, and we got it in just under the wire. Ooh, nice! So, mm-hmm. so now you get so now you get to get a second one. So now, so then you can say multi award winning author. Exactly. Yes, multiple award winning series as well. So yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, now you now um, before we started we started recording, you talked about how you're going to be going to a number of uh, conventions in uh, the near future. Um, and of course, this is a great place to you know meet your fans and make and make new ones. Of course, sell some books. How are you at just enduring a convention weekend? Because I know it can be a lot. It can be a lot, but I, I love Comic Con fans. I would go there a lot of times just as, as a fan, and you know, between the you know various see comic book everything, I'm you know I love that stuff. So. To be there as um, there long hours, um, it's also gratifying not only to meet existing fans, to connect with new ones, to uh, people interested in my book and excited for it. Um, it's uh, it's great. I love doing it, and I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be in Denver. I'm going to be in Chicago. I'm going to be in Tampa. Um, so I'm really excited, and possibly a couple others. Okay. All right. Well, Michael, sir, we are we are coming down to the end of the conversation, um, but we're going to end with the big question: What can we expect in book three? Book three is going to be, I think, a, a very big surprise because 
at the end of the second book, things are not going well for Dre. And he needs to make a final choice. Is he actually going to try to fight? And in the process, potentially everything? Or is he going to try to hide? And he is going to make a decision that is going to impact everyone that he cares about. Is Dre a particularly brave man? He has brave moments. Mm. Not always. Um, uh, he, he doesn't always. He's not the first one running into the building. Well, unless it's his family that, that he's talking about. But he also is very aware of what is what is right. And so he, if others are sacrificing, then he, his immediate response is more to stand up as well and fight with them. All right. But he's again conflicted with trying to protect his family. Sounds like a very realistic character, actually. I tried. I really tried to make it as uh, three-dimensional and as interesting as possible. Right. And I, I like him, too. You know, I, I wouldn't always necessarily agree with him, but I, I, I like him. All right. All right, folks. Well, you've heard it all here. Now go check out the books. You, uh, you go to mcbland.com. You'll, you'll find all the information there. You can get the first two books. Third one is on the way. Audiobook for the first one, now available audiobook for the second one soon to be released and as always folks leave reviews whether it's a you know star review a thumbs up a couple of words this is all very important and certainly follow him on his socials and michael great talking to you and looking forward to the next conversation max thank you so much i really enjoyed it i can't wait to talk to you again hey what's up it's your girl molly mccoy and you're now listening to citywide blackout your home for the best in independent entertainment And that brings this episode to a close. Thanks to everyone for listening. And be sure to follow the show on Facebook at Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram at Citywide Max. You can reach me at citywidemax at yahoo.com to suggest a guest or submit music for the Blackout Collection playlist. You can find the show wherever you check out your favorite podcasts. And new episodes are aired every Saturday at 10 p.m. EST on Boston Free Radio. That's all for now. And I'll see you next time.